trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. You know our unofficial motto? Nah, I think it's actually an official motto. Revel in wrong think. It's so much fun. And it's so necessary if you're going to hang on to your sanity as well as your freedoms. And that's where we're going to start today. We're going to dive right in. I love reading the writings of Alan Stevo. Been following this guy for a little over a year now. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has been one of the one of the really cogent voices when it comes to responding to all the attempts to to get us uh, on the same page, so to th- so to speak, when it comes to uh, COVID compliance. You know, the mask mandates, the social distancing, and all of the the various ways that you know the the inner control freaks have kind of been unleashed. And, you know, if you've ever asked yourself the question or if you find yourself asking the question, do I have the courage, the persistence and the dedication to live as a free individual in an increasingly unfree world? I would suggest maybe ask yourself that. I mean, I don't mean just, you know, do I have the courage, you know, say it once and and, and be done with it. I mean, really think about it. I'm guessing you wouldn't be listening to this program if you didn't have some burning desire deep in your heart to live free, regardless of what the world is dishing out at you. It's not like, you know, freedom is maintenance free. Yeah, once you got it, you don't ever have to do anything. Never have to lift a finger again. Now, I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. It requires maintenance. It requires effort. It requires sacrifice. Not just from the people who win it, but for those who want to perpetuate it. Well, Alan Stevo has the story of a woman who uh, was injured earlier this month and ended up having to navigate an ER visit as well as a doctor's office visit for follow-up without having to put on a mask, and this is the important part, and without creating unnecessary drama. It's one of the best things I've read all week, and I've read some pretty good stuff so far this week. He's, he starts with this, this letter, Dear Alan, I had a serious horse riding accident on a trail ride July 5th. I was able to get home, but a few hours later decided I needed to see a doctor. In my mind, this was the worst thing that could happen to me. Horses are dangerous. And all during this pandemic, I thought, what would I do <clears throat> if I needed medical care? And they try to force a mask on me. Well, I was about to find out. I decided to start with urgent care. Maybe it wasn't a serious injury. I could still walk, and my back and hip hurt pretty badly, though. I checked their website, and it indicated accommodation was allowed. So I called to confirm this and was told I would wait in my car, and they would call me. And that's exactly how it was. I went in without a mask and was not bothered at all. Now, the doctor said my injuries were severe with possible internal bleeding. She told me to go to the ER. I told her I couldn't wear a mask, and could she help me get in without one? She said no. I was filled with anxieties. I knew there was little chance of getting out of mask wearing, but I had potentially life-threatening injuries and had no choice. The letter writer says, when I got to the ER, my husband dropped me off. I was stopped by the guard at the front door and told, put on a mask. I said I couldn't wear one and asked to speak to the head nurse. 
I was told to go to registration and make my request. The registration desk called the head nurse and she asked me why I couldn't wear a mask and I simply said I couldn't. She said it was hospital policy that everyone wear a mask and that I had to prove it was disrupting my breathing by putting it on and taking a test. I said the mask gave me anxiety and panic attacks. Her response was, well, if that happens, they would treat me for it. I said, wouldn't it be better if I didn't have a panic attack? I was simply told again I had to wear it. And I was also told they wouldn't see me for the CAT scan I needed without it. I had to agree. But she says, I still hadn't put the mask on, so I asked the nurse if I could wait outside for someone to call me. Now, that was agreeable. She put me outside in a separate area. I talked with her as she was taking my information, and she seemed to soften a little bit. She said they would call me and took my phone number down. Now, the letter writer says, I waited for about an hour, and evidently they had called, but my phone didn't ring. The message said they had a bed for me, but they were going to give it to another patient if I didn't call right back. I tried to call back, but the number was voicemail. I got an operator and was transferred to the registration desk. They didn't know what I was talking about. I went in to inquire, and a woman in the registration area told me that I had to get out of the building if I didn't put on a mask. I was intimidated and walked out, then walked back in because I still hadn't spoken to reception. She says, I was trying to talk to them, and this woman kept interrupting, yelling at me to put on a mask or leave the building. Now, she says, I have no idea if they were going to call me again or if it was my tough luck that I lost out on the bed. They were more concerned about my lack of mask than the fact that I could have serious internal injuries. And the letter writer says, I was so upset I decided to go home and take my chances. It was pretty clear that it was more important to them that I wear a mask than get treated for my injuries. When I got home, she says my urgent care doctor, who I had initially seen, left me a message and told me my injuries were more severe than she originally thought, and I absolutely needed to go to ER. Now, she says I was so upset I couldn't think. I was in severe pain and didn't think I would find a solution. Her husband called another ER that was further away, said he was taking her there. Now, she says when we entered the second ER, I again requested to speak to a head nurse. I was allowed in and went to reception. They handed me a mask and I explained the situation. My husband decided he would put on the mask to keep the focus on me. They said they would call the nurse and to go ahead and sit in the waiting area. And then she says the nurse called me in and it was the same situation. She said they wouldn't take me back for treatment without a mask. Now, I still didn't have one on and interestingly, she didn't seem to care. She was listening to me regarding the accident and my injuries She then said that in her opinion, I needed immediate admittance as a trauma patient. At this point, the mask issue seemed to have been forgotten. I heard her calling someone and explaining my situation. And here the woman says, I was taken in immediately and at no point was the mask issue brought up again. Now, she spent about 24 hours in that hospital, was seen by about 20 different medical people, and only one of them asked her to put a mask on. She refused and his response was, well, as long as you feel comfortable without one, that's fine. Now, she says, the only time I became uncomfortable and did something they, that I really didn't want to do was when they told me I had to take a COVID test or they wouldn't admit me. I initially refused the test, but was told I had no choice. I was in severe pain and far too afraid to leave the hospital in my condition over a COVID test, so I consented to it. Now, she was discharged from the hospital the next day. Then she called her primary care doctor for a follow-up appointment. This was the same network as the ER hospital. So she assumed the mask wouldn't be an issue. 
She requested accommodation on the phone, but they refused. She was told, you have to wear a mask in the building. And she initially took the appointment, then called back and canceled it because she said, I didn't want to be seen by a doctor that forced masks. So once again, the mask issue was causing her anxiety, making her hesitant to seek care. At this point, her injuries were stable, and she says, I considered taking my chances that I would recover and not to bother with the follow-up. But my health is important, so I wanted to try to find another doctor. She says, I decided to bypass the primary care doctor and go directly to an orthopedic surgeon, as that was who ultimately needed to follow up. I called another doctor and requested accommodation. The woman I spoke to told me nobody had ever requested this before. I was shocked. She was very kind and said she would check for me. Now, the letter writer says, I waited a day for a return call. She called and left a message, and I called right back. But when I asked for the person on the phone, they said they would pull up my chart and let me know what was going on. And long story short, she was needing orthopedic care, but they were going to refer her to neurology. And for the next 10 minutes, she said total panic because she thought maybe they'd found a neurologic problem that she wasn't aware of. But finally, the original person she spoke to phoned her and said they'd made a mistake reading her chart. And she got an appointment with an orthopedist. Now, she repeated her request for accommodation, which was allowed. And this appointment, she says, isn't for a few weeks. But uh, she says, the the crazy thing about this is, she says, I can sense when when I'm speaking with reasonable people. Her accident, her injuries were traumatic to her, but she says, I almost didn't seek care at all. The hassle of getting out of, due to the hassle of getting out of the mask requirement. From the beginning of the pandemic, she says, I knew I would never put on a mask. I knew it was evil. I knew it was wrong. And I knew it would lead to bad things. And here she says, I'm not sure why everyone continues to comply. I can't believe I'm the only person to request accommodation from a doctor's office. I can't even articulate why it's so important not to comply. But she says, I feel in my core that it simply cannot be done. I survived this entire episode without ever putting on a mask. In a way, she says, I almost risked my life for it. It surprised me to have that kind of power in my being. Signed, Maskless in the Northwest. Now, surprisingly, my only experience with having ever been to an ER was after being thrown from a horse. So in a sense, I kind of feel her pain. (laughs) I was luckier. No masks at the time, no serious injuries on my part. But there are so many areas of life where, you know, again, the requirement, we still require this. How can you live as a free person? Alan Stevo has a response. You are going to want to hear it. Just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you a column from Alan Stevo. This was published on lourockwell.com today. One of my favorite resources for wrong thinkers. And Alan Stevo is, uh, he is one of those voices that I pay attention to because I think he's very principled. And he also has put a lot of this, uh, this to the test in terms of how can you live as normal a life as possible, unmasked and in the face of all the different mandates that have been out there. And he does it with a gentleness, yet a firmness of conviction. It's, it's not about let's create drama, you know, and, and, you know, draw attention to ourselves. 
But this story of a woman who was able to navigate an ER visit as well as a doctor's office visit following up afterwards, after she was thrown from a horse, fascinating stuff. And this is his response when she talks about, you know, the that she goes, I didn't really know I had it in me. I didn't think I had that kind of power to, you know, to be able to go through that whole thing. In some ways, you know, putting her life on the line to not wear the mask. Now, you might think, well, why didn't she just go along? It seems like it would be so much easier. And she would probably agree. It's always easier to go along. But sometimes the right thing to do is not the easy thing to do. Come on. we. I think that's pretty self-evident. And for a person who's truly committed to claiming, using, and defending their natural rights, you got to find the courage to do this. The courage, the persistence, the dedication. Alan Stevo says, look, I want to thank you for this note. He says, you filled me with inspiration. Countless other readers are going to be filled with the same by your example. Friends will share this with friends, family with family, children with parents. People who never thought it possible to go maskless in their lives will suddenly make it possible. But that's what it all comes down to, resolving to make it so and then following through. He says, your summary of motivation is well put. I'm not even able to articulate why it is so important not to comply. I just feel in my core that it simply cannot be done. I completely identify with what this lady's saying, by the way. My refusal to mask up has always been based on my conscience as saying, this is not a good idea. Alan Stevo says, all excellence starts like you indicate, not from a want or a preference, but from a need, a demand, a value, an insistence, a thing impenetrable. And he goes into a couple of different uh, scenarios here. He talks about until the four-minute mile was run, it was considered impossible in the eyes of so many. After the four-minute mile was run, four-minute miles became nearly commonplace. The only thing that truly changed was the belief that it was possible. And he says, for some, dear maskless in the Northwest, you have run the four-minute mile and now will inspire others to do the same. And he says, you really can't imagine the reach and impact your words will have. Now, he says, I wish this were not the case, but this is the time we live in, though. These small, symbolic shows of bravery mean so much. They mean much to those who oppose you. They mean much to you when you make them. So much of the weight of the trillion-dollar media machine has fallen upon each person's shoulders and convinced people that that to be demoralized is the most logical path, to be apathetic, to be inactive, to be convinced that resistance is futile. So why resist? Exactly that. So many have been convinced that that is the logical path. That's called defeating yourself. No enemy need lift a finger once you have defeated yourself. You are the trained elephant who as a baby was chained to a peg he couldn't move. And that elephant, now grown to the size of a small house, tells himself he still can't move it. Alan Stevo says those who would be the mightiest lions, too, do exactly that. He says, I'm sure there are ways in my life that I do it, too. The moment I spot them, I stop. I love to root them out. My false suppositions. Rooting them out hurts in a good way, a familiar way, a way that precedes awesome growth. So he says, dear lion, you are stronger than the peg you are chained to. You are smarter. You are more resilient. If I could just convince you that greater is that which is in you, then maybe I could convince you to take everything promised to you. In fact, he says, dear lions reading this, I need you to act. 
to stop the tyranny in every corner of your life, to give no quarter to lies or excuses, to put the tyrant below your feet, the only place he belongs. And to the letter writer, he says, I'm not surprised that you encountered an office that had never heard this request. So many have avoided that conversation rather than pushing it. In fact, he says, I suspect the majority of Americans agree with you that masks are unsafe, ineffective, and a twisted form of experimentation. It's okay for a silent majority to remain silent, but when that happens, we must be mindful of how nature abhors a vacuum and how those empty spaces will be filled by someone's voice. But he says, let us not focus on the collective, though. Let us focus on the individual in your own life. Those moments will be filled by someone's voice, someone's preferences, someone's values. It can be your voice. It can be another's. The choice is yours, but it will certainly be someone's. And if it isn't yours, you will live a most unfree life. He talks about how Mark Twain believed that one brave man could shout down a lynch mob of 10,000. That's the strength of one man. He need not be in the majority. He need only be brave and willing to defend what's right in the face of a mob. Now, Alan Stevo says mobs won't form in your state to tell you that you are wrong. They aren't allowed. In fact, since they violate lockdown and social distancing orders to gather 10,000 in one place. But he says instead, a psychological battle is being waged to convince you of your wrongness, your inferiority, the unpopular nature of your beliefs. To convince you that you are outnumbered 10,000 to 1, so why even bother? That's what they want to convince you of. And if you accept that narrative, then they've won. That's all it takes. Likewise, if you refuse that narrative, then they've not won. That's all it takes. You get what he's saying here? Everything about this war is psychological. Nothing is kinetic. It can cross that line at any time. Where we now stand, the brave man who refuses the narrative wins each interaction. That's all that's needed of you. And so he says, thank you for being a hero, maskless in the Northwest. May your heroism infinitely ripple out. May your courage be so very contagious. May your valor be plentiful among those who encounter you. Now here he turns to the critics and says, some will call what you did stupid. I can picture the individual faces of the long entourage of people in my own life who would say such a thing. They are people of preferences. They try to do what they prefer. They're not people of values. People of values refuse to tread upon their values. You were willing to die for your values, maskless in the Northwest. Thank you for your willingness to do that. He says some people are wired to make it easier for them to walk into battle and die than to stand up to someone enforcing a nonsense policy by exercising the verbal acuity to say, no, I do not consent to that. And then to say, now, how do we negotiate this scenario? He says, and then you appear to have played a game of chicken with the hospital personnel in which you may not have said aloud, I would sooner die than put on that mask. But in which hospital personnel saw that to be the case. No doubt many people called you a fool, a radical, an extremist that, that night in the backroom conversation after, after backroom conversation. Until finally someone from the legal team probably just said, just let her in before she passes out and we have a lawsuit on our hands because of this face mask policy. Now he says that might have happened or your diligence may have moved the heart of someone. Maybe it was more than a game of chicken. Maybe someone looked at you and said, I will not follow this policy. 
Now, he says, we're told to have the faith that moves mountains. You moved mountains. You moved what looked unmovable. How? Because you resolved that you would not move. You had faith that you would stay firm and that all would be okay. He says, a hundred people write to me to tell me how immovable the medical mountain is. You write to me to tell me how immovable your faith is. One hundred people write to me to tell me how big their problems are. You write to tell me how big that which is in you is. One hundred people write to me to tell me how much evil there is in the world. You write to me to tell me how much good you have on your side. Do you see the difference, he asks? Because I do. Got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I really hope you're enjoying this uh, column from Alan Stevo. Yes, it is in the show notes. I hope that you'll take it and share it if it uh, rings the right chord. I love that uh, he is identifying what we really need right now. And it's not, we need more people chanting in unison Republican slogans or Democratic slogans. We need people who understand that they have God-given rights and they're willing to claim, use, and defend those rights. And if you are one of those people, and I think you probably are, you wouldn't be listening to this program, you already understand how hard it is to get people to step up and do that. Most people are probably a little more comfortable just going with the flow, not drawing attention to themselves, not making a scene. By the way, before we go any further, I just want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors. I do appreciate those who make this program possible, including MonticelloCollege.org. LifesavingFood.com. If you have uh, had a little uh, tickle in the back of your mind saying, we should probably be stocking up on on food storage, you should click on that link in my show notes, LifesavingFood.com. Check out the different packages they have. I know it seems overwhelming. Well, I got to put away your supply. You could do that if you want, or you could do a 72-hour supply, a week supply, a month supply, something to fit any budget. Also, Pure Light, that's pure-light.com, the most innovative little light bulbs you have ever seen in your life, and they do work exactly as advertised. HSLAmmo.com and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I have links to all of them in the show notes. I would encourage you, please, look them up, do business with them if that's what you're looking for, you need their product or service, or drop them a line and say, hey, Brian's been talking about you. Now, evangelizing for you is probably closer to the truth. Back to Alan Stevo's commentary. Courage, persistence, and dedication to this woman's values, this letter writer, maskless in the Northwest, is what saw her through a situation where she was forced to choose between putting on the face mask or moving into the ER and getting, you know, the treatment that she needed. And because her principles were immovable, She didn't cause a lot of drama or make a big scene. She just simply could not go along with it. But finally, the medical personnel were like, you know what? Maybe the mask isn't that important. And they went ahead and put her in and she went through the whole ordeal without having to be masked up. The the point here is it can be done. But you got to really, you know, believe in yourself. 
Alan Stevo says, I don't want you to focus on your problems. That's fear. He says, I want you to focus on your values, your ideals, your outcomes, your vision for the future. Because right now the world is working very hard to distract you through nonsense, through irrelevancy, through fear. That's all that's needed to get you to quash down your own dreams for the tyrant and to give them power over you. But he says all that's needed to make your vision for the future a pipe dream is for you to be distracted and how much adversity stands against you or how bad the odds are, how ugly the fight will be, or some other, dis- some other nonsense pumped into the airwaves. That's all distraction. And distraction's all that's needed for the enemy to win. Instead, he says, focus on the vision. Address the petty troubles you encounter, all the while staying focused on your vision, your values, not their vision or their values. And with faith, you can move mountains. But faith and fear can't inhabit the same space. Fear is all it takes to displace faith, to distract the visionary, to distract from values. That's why fear fills the air around us. Not because there's anything to fear, but because that's the most effective way to distract. And there are other ways to distract. So many. You didn't distract. You stayed so focused. It didn't require an arrest. It didn't require a gun being fired. It didn't require threats, yelling, or dramatic protestations, at least not based on your email. All a moment like this requires is resolve and courage. It requires focus and valor. It requires certainty and honor. He says, I've said the same thing three times. All you need to do to fight a tyrant is to stand on your values and refuse to do otherwise. Now, he says, I recognize that can seem easier said than done. There's a non-zero number of healthcare workers who would sooner let you die than bend the face mask policy. But the truth is they don't matter. They don't control you. They control themselves and what services they provide you. So don't be convinced to allow yourself to be controlled by them. Nor should you try to control them. Stand your ground. Have a conversation with them. Find common ground. Alan Stevo says it's no surprise that so, so many free men are so good at negotiation. If you honor your fellow man and force is not an available option to you, suddenly conversation becomes a talent. You learn to cultivate to accomplish what you need from others more effectively than any man with a gun could ever do. It's not about eloquence, though that helps. It's not about having the gift of gab or a salesman's trained and practiced ability to convince others. It's about resolving to live the life of a free man. He says, I've seen the most tongue-tied person fumble through conversation to get what he needed. It just comes down to resolving to follow your values. Once you get the hang of it, you realize it isn't hard at all to follow your values. It's really the only option. In fact, for a person who refuses to live life by low standards, he says, as as you describe, you'd, you'd sooner die than live otherwise. That's the resolve that makes life free. Now, just as an aside to you, my listener, does that, does that, not, does that not sound like a, a way to take charge of your life? I, you, hopefully you can understand why this resonated so strongly with me when I read it. I was like, wow. That's the pep talk I think a lot of people need. It's not a matter of, you know, find a hill, plant your flag, and die for your cause. You know, a lot of people think that's what it's going to take. But really, if you know who you are, if you know what you stand for, and you resolve that I will live up to my values, you've already won the toughest battle. That's the one with yourself. That's the one with the little voice in your head saying, ah, you can probably compromise just this once. You know, it's, it's not that bad. 
Alan Stevo says, live free or die is not a request, a threat, or a command, but a reality of life. It's not a request to government to let you live free. It's a life choice to follow the two options open to the free man. You either follow your values as a man of resolve or you die making that happen. Turning your values into preferences is not a third option open to the free man. To make the third option open is a guarantee that such a man will not live free. The live free or die quote goes on to say, live free or die, death is not the worst of evils. To some, death is a lesser evil than cowardice. Those who think otherwise are those who are unable to live freely. They live in fear of the penalty of their values. They live in fear of the risk of death. They do not live in the liberating faith that following their values is just. Such a hold of fear is hard for some people to release. Now he says, in contrast, maskless in the Northwest, you stared death in the face and said you were unafraid of it. You stared a giant medical machine in the face and said you were not afraid of it. You stared the modern-day lynch, lynch mob rather in the face and said you were not afraid of it. You used your superpower. You used the greatest of superpowers. You used your faith, that courage, fearless certainty. Now, the lynch mob reminded you that they get to dispense the law and justice and mandates with reckless caprice. They get to dispense life and death as freely as a blink of an eye. As they get to determine who gets to be personed and depersoned without the moment of conscience for how it will harm, will harm you. You shrugged your shoulders, you stared them in the face and showed only faith, no fear. You didn't flinch at the challenge, you stayed focused on your values, your ideals, your desired outcome. And he says, what a runaround you went through. You went through a runaround not one in 10,000 people would have went through. Which is exactly why Mark Twain writes that one man can shout down a lynch mob of 10,000. But it mattered not to you, the runaround. You knew nothing that they could do to you would be worse than what you do to yourself when you resolve to live a life anything but free, anything but courageous, anything but driven by those values of yours. In other words, he says, you are the one in 10,000 that Mark Twain writes about. And to the rest of the readers, he says, if you would have done the same as maskless in the Northwest, you too are that one in 10,000. In fact, he says, I beg you to read every word excerpted here, uh, excerpted here from the 22nd chapter of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, because in it, Mark Twain so aptly describes that thing inside of you that makes you so different from the other 10,000. That thing in you that makes adversity move out of your way. This isn't the first time that's happened in your life, dear woman of virtue, dear maskless in the Northwest. About that, he says, I have no question. Adversity moves out of your way constantly. Out of your way is exactly where it belongs. Adversity moves out of the way of roused lions. So he says, let's see what Twain has to say about you. When the excerpt below starts, he says, a mob has formed and Sherburne is standing up to the mob. Now, unfortunately, I have to hit the brakes here for a moment because we are up against the brake. But when we come back, we'll continue with Alan Stevo's commentary and this quote from Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. Gee, I feel doubly politically incorrect to be sharing some Mark Twain. I mean, this is, we're pushing the limits today. If you want to read this article on your own, by the way, you can always visit the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. We'll be back in just a moment.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. I'm sharing with you today an excellent column by Alan Stevo. This was published on LewRockwell.com earlier today. Before I go back to his column, just a quick note here about the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. If you are fortunate enough to be moving to the Intermountain West, specifically to the great state of Utah, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is there to help you in what has to be the hottest real estate market within most people's memory. Bottom line is there's intense competition for every single property that comes on the market. You need to have your financing squared away. And Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She understands the ins and outs of what lenders and borrowers need. She is the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. From VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the stability and the clout to get you the loan you need without delay. And that really counts. Her NMLS ID number is 715-386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, and you can contact Heather at 435-703-4522 or stop by her office in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street. Again, that's the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. So this article from Alan Stevo includes an excerpt from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And as this uh, excerpt begins, a mob has formed, and Sherburn is standing up to that mob. Quote, Then pretty soon, Sherburn sort of laughed. Not the pleasant kind, but the kind that makes you feel like you're eating bread that's got sand in it. Then he says, slow and scornful, The idea of you lynching anybody? It's amusing. The idea of you thinking you had pluck enough to lynch a man? Because you're brave enough to tar and feather poor, friendless, cast-out women that come along here. Did that make you think you had grit enough to lay your hands on a man? Why, a man's safe in the hands of 10,000 of your kind, as long as it's daytime and you're not behind him. Do I know you? I know you clear clear through was born and raised in the South, and I've lived in the North, so I know the average all around. The average man's a coward. In the North, he lets anybody walk over him that wants to, and he goes home and prays for a humble spirit to bear it. In the South, one man all by himself has stopped a stage full of men in the daytime and robbed the lot. Your newspapers call you a brave people, so much so that you think you are braver than any other people, whereas you're just as brave and no braver. Why won't your juries hang murderers? Because they're afraid the man's friends will shoot them in the back, in the dark, and it's just what they would do. So they always acquit. Then a man goes in the night with a hundred masked cowards at his back and lynches the rascal. Your mistake is that you didn't bring a man with you. That's one mistake. And the other part is that you didn't come in the dark and fetch your masks. You brought part of a man, Buck Harkness, there. And if you hadn't had him to start you, you'd have taken it out in blowing. You didn't want to come. The average man don't like trouble and danger. You don't like trouble and danger. But if only half a man, like Buck Harkness there, shouts, lynch him, lynch him, you're afraid to back down, afraid you'll be found out to be what you are, cowards. And so you raise a yell and hang yourselves onto that half a man's coattail and come raging up here, swearing what big things you're going to do. The pitifulest thing out of a mob, the pitifulest thing out is a mob. That's what an army is, a mob. They don't fight with courage that's born in them, but with courage that's borrowed from their mass and from their officers. But a mob without any man at the head of it? 
is beneath pitifulness. Now the thing for you to do is droop your tails and go home and crawl in a hole. If any real lynching's going to be done, it'll be done in the dark, southern fashion, and when they come, they'll bring their masks and fetch a man along. Now leave and take your half a man with you, tossing his gun up across his left arm and cocking it when he says this. The crowd washed back sudden, then broke all apart and went tearing off every which way, and Buck Harkness, he healed it after him, looking tolerable cheap. I could have stayed if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. End quote. (laughs) Man, maybe we do need to dust that book off again, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Bottom line is, Dear Reader, Dear lion, says Alan Stevo, you have nothing to fear. The average man is a coward. If you have an ounce more courage than the average man, all you need to do is stand on your values. Identify your boundaries, communicate your boundaries, defend your boundaries. Identify your values, communicate your values, defend your values. You have in that process everything it takes not to be half a man, but to be a full man. That's it. Not to be a half-man like Buck Harkness in this chapter, but to be a full man like Sherburn. How to be a man who is able to shout down a mob, though he be vastly outnumbered. And he says, Dear maskless in the Northwest, when you stood before that hospital, unmasked and declined to mask, you stood before an unseen army of adversaries who have spent many long hours putting systems and defenses in place so that you would be stymied. The entire public health apparatus of your state, the entire health care apparatus of that hospital, the overwhelming majority of people in your community rallied together in a mob to say that all people were to mask in certain situations, no questions asked. The number you stood against that night at the hospital may well have been over 10,000. Hundreds were called to active service that night, put on alert as they were made aware that they had a person standing against their policy, someone standing against their hive mind. They might even have a word for someone like you, a special tone of derision for those who think they're special. But he says, I have news for them. You don't think you're special. You know that you are special and your every action speaks that. It speaks as a threat to those who refuse to step into their specialness. People you couldn't even dream of were involved that night. The chief administrator of the hospital may have heard about you. The local union representative may have been called for advice, advice that he called others to clarify. You see, many of them are led by the half-a-man Fauci, the half-a-man news anchor, the half-a-man public health director of your community, and an array of other halves of men in their lives. And all it takes to stand up to a mob led by half-a-man is to do exactly what you did, to be the man that they aren't, to show the courage that they don't, to stand on the values that they don't have. What they call values are, in fact, mere preferences to them. Some people prefer not to wear a mask, and they'll go through all kinds of contortions not to wear one, but when push comes to shove, they will acquiesce. You hold a value not to wear a mask. It will not go on your face. At all cost, you will not let that happen. That's a value, not a mere preference. You did even more than hold true to your values. You took it a step further, and you didn't do what most people do in response to conflict. You stepped back at this moment of great tension, took a deep breath and said, let's try something else because this standoff isn't working. At a moment like that, he says, many people say to themselves, how do I compromise my values to resolve this situation? But to those who stand on their values, that's not an option. And because it's not an option, they try other things until they work just as you did, but they do not compromise their values. The mind gets creative as long as the soul doesn't get weak. 
You kept trying and trying and trying, and you can see in your retelling how you kept trying to work things out against a bureaucratic machine. The machine has no values. It has no preferences. It's a thing. It's a collective. It has instructions and flowcharts, and all you had to do was sway the right decision maker. And that you did. And he points out how her strength gave others a gift. Now, he also says, beware of the advice of distracting drama queens, for drama is often a symptom of cowardice. Anyone who talks about the need for guns in a moment like this is a drama queen. Anyone who talks about the need for violence is a drama queen. The drama covers up their cowardice and distracts from it. Alan Stevo says all that's needed for lions to awake and to behave just like maskless in the Northwest behaves resolute, driven by her values, unwilling to make her values preferences. Exactly that is all that's needed to free yourself from tyranny and to let those around you live more free as well. Now, he says, you may not be able to change the world, but it will change the world as you know it and experience it. And that is the world that matters. You don't need to save the United States. You don't need to save the planet. You don't need to march to battle. You don't need to take up arms. Those are almost always collectivist distractions, but you need to stand up. Stand up in resolute obedience to your values. Stand up in your own life, the place where it can be truly scary to stand up and the only place it matters. If the free man can be mired down and demoralized by collectivist distractions, half the work of defeating him is done. The collective doesn't matter. The collective isn't in your control. So Alan Stevo says, rise to the occasion in your life. Rise to the occasion in the world around you. Never give up. Live faithfully and not fearfully. Follow these and you will never know the depths of hopeless tyranny. It is for want of a single good man that entire cities are destroyed. You perhaps do not realize the power you have if you resolve to be that single good man, regardless of what anyone else is doing. And so he says, be that good man. They don't matter. Be that good man. That's all that matters. Now, I understand he's using some fairly sexist language here, but I think you get the point. And this is something that has been very clear to me over the last year and a half. Your character is making more of a difference than whatever political campaign or other, you know, other actions you might be taking. Let your character be the place where you invest your time and effort. You won't regret it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.